You're listening to Those Movie Dudes Presents Collector's Corner, the podcast show where we do a deep dive into our own physical media collections. This week, we watch the Blu-ray release of the film The Green Mile from director Frank Darabont. Say, fortunately, we don't get to go to movie theaters anymore, so you can kind of enjoy films in the comfort of your own home with your cat or dog or something, or by yourself. Which is, with your eh, it's 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 got its pros and cons. I think there's nothing they, like I, watching a movie I, in the movie theater. I guarantee. Well, I don't guarantee. I hope. I'm gonna put this out there. I hope the next movie that we all go and see when we return to theaters is just a five out of five. I hope so. Just I for the so. experience mm. alone. <laughs> and we have that option to wait for the right movie at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, nah, for I'm sure. down. For sure. Like if, if they decided to go, return. Hey, we're going to, if they're going to play nomad land somewhere close by and it's on a theater it's screen, going to play an IMAX and the, uh, the end I, of March. I Isn't that watch, just about I, like Francis McDormand living in a van? I don't want okay, to John, see that I'm going to rip apart the good movies. I'm, but I, I want to go see a movie that's a theater experience. I don't want to like see a movie that Godzilla I could watch on King Kong. iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. I don't want to watch a movie that I would fall asleep on the toilet watching it on my phone. Nomadland. <laughs> I would rather watch fucking Godzilla vs. Kong vs. fucking Predator or something. At this point, after the year that <laughs> we've had, yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I'll pour a fucking gallon of popcorn on my head and put the butter in my, on my fucking throat. It's gonna be great. Well, speaking of farting, uh, welcome to Collector's Corner. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm gonna start doing it just because you said that. I'm gonna go out of my way to start farting the whole episode. I'm gonna take some of Spencer's advice and say I think it's about time to get physical. Do you guys think so? I think we should get physical. Do you guys want to get physical, Spencer? Yeah. Yeah, it's good physical. This is Those Movie Dudes Presents Collector's Corner, Episode 3, the new weekly podcast that we do where we do a deep dive into our own physical media collections. We reach the hand in the bin, we pull one out, and uh, we review it for you guys in full. All the special features, our reviews on the film, how it affected us as men, um, just what it did to our souls. And first episode was me. I chose Paris, Texas. Spencer chose a uh, taxi driver yeah. yes i did i wanted to revisit that one and yeah. now i must and, apologize because uh, it is my turn <laughs> yeah um so i guess I, I don't i'm very reluctant to but john introduce episode three well here we are on collector's corner it's my turn to take the reins but of course it's still nate's show but I decided come on, come to on. go. We're those movie dudes. We're we're good. We're right, good. We're, we're, yeah, we're all dudes. We're those. I wanted to go with a movie that I hold in very high regard 
I would almost say, you know, perhaps it's my favorite movie of all time. There's some movies I would put close to it, but I can never say that they're nearly as good as this one. But it is the Frank Darabont-directed 1999 Tom Hanks, Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile. John Coffey, you have been condemned to die in the electric chair by a jury of your peers, sentence imposed by a judge in good standing in this state. Questions? Do you leave the light on after bedtime? I know violent men. I deal with them day in and day out. There doesn't seem to be any real violence in him. Until he kills a couple of little girls. This is one that I knew was always one of John's favorite movies of all time. Uh, he always would talk about this movie growing up in high school. And this was like, yep, this is, if you had to pick, favorite movie of all time, this was always your answer. And I always Good envied mom. you because you had an answer. I still, to this day... <laughs> don't know what my answer is because I can flip-flop it every single day. I wake up and it's a different movie, and yeah. So, uh, What are some of those movies, is my and question. Then, and then, a couple years later, I meet Nate, and then he's like, also like, yeah, The Green Mile, probably one of my top ten favorite movies of all time. Like, I don't Easily remember top the three. hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Top three, there you go. Um, but you were like, yeah, it's one of the best movies of all time. And I was like, I remember watching bits and pieces on AMC and stuff, but like, I don't really remember watching this movie so i think i didn't own the blu-ray at the time i don't believe or maybe i did but i think i i think one of mm-hmm. you let me the blu-ray and i sat down and watched it from start to finish which was something that i had never done before it was just bits and pieces on tv like i knew enough to do the plot but not from start to finish and when it ended i was just completely moved i was i thought the movie was very good i completely understood why you guys love the movie so much um and since then it's been i don't know four mm-hmm. or five years it's been a while since I've revisited it. I don't think I have revisited it since. Um, other than just bits and pieces on TV, because it's on AMC literally every single day. You could turn it on AMC right. channel, and it's probably on. And so watch it from start to finish again. You can just really appreciate how much detail and care and passion everybody involved put into this movie. Like, watching this last night was one of the best experiences I've had watching this movie. Because I've seen it in basically any every form. I've seen it. The first time I ever watched it was on a dual VHS box. Nice. Oh, that's how I yes. first, that's I love how that, I first watched this movie. I, yep. I remember uh, the I scene I when, when Tom Hanks goes to meet the warden's wife is when it cuts and you have to put it in the second tape. Um, Amazing. <laughs> like, I've watched it that much. I know the specifics, but... This is one of those movies that I will call perfect. There, I, There's only one thing in this movie that bothers me, and it's so, so small. I'm so that, like, curious to know what that is, because there's something that bothers thing me. As well. It's literally a yeah, shot. It's thing. literally a shot. Oh, okay. But the more I think about the shot, the more I'm like, it fits. It fits for what it's supposed to do. Um, but we'll get into it later when we start getting into like plot details and whatnot. But yeah, this is just one of those movies that it, it's like interstellar for me. I know what's going to happen and there's nothing I can do about it. And it just adds that strain. Mm. It's just one of those remarkable movies that I'll never forget by far. I'm going to get into why I love this movie so much then. Um, okay. The first time I ever watched this, again, it was on TV. I think it was like maybe 9 o'clock at night, which at the time I was like maybe 15. So I was like, damn, this is late. I have no idea what this is. I did not have nearly the same filmography or even idea of, of filmmaking that I do now, not even close. 
Um, and I sat there and watched the entire thing with commercials, and I was completely blown away by the story, the message that it was sending. That I even that I didn't really understand, but I just absolutely love the the mysticalness of John Coffey's character and what he brings to this movie, and everybody around him is giving their absolute heart and soul into this film, including the director Stephen King, who basically just handed Frank Darren about the reins. It was like run with it but stay true to the script and he absolutely did everything you see in these short stories that make up the green mile is in the script and that's confirmed in the in the short film documentaries michael clark duncan in this movie is Mm. just before his time because he was really nothing he was not big before this film came out he was in armageddon with bruce willis (laughs) and then he's actually the one that recommended to frank darenbot Mm -hmm. you got to put michael clark duncan in this movie i found you john coffee Right, because uh, <laughs> Bruce Willis, I found out, yeah, is like the unsung hero of the Green Mile. Because like, he, he also <laughs> casted uh, the other prison guard, um, the tall guy. Um, I forget his name. Yeah. Um, his I know bru- who you're talking about. Brutal. Yeah, Brutus. Yeah. yeah. Brutus Brutal or something, yeah. Um, but yeah, Bruce Willis like called like uh, Frank Darabont. I was like, hey, I got like two two actors for you that will be great for the Green Mile. And they're like yeah <laughs> great yeah and that's, uh it's just it's one of those movies it's got so many central not central characters but just these perfect supporting characters that just help you've got the the second hand to tom hanks which is uh what's the guy's name is it david morse that's the actor okay. yeah. yeah i'm just gonna yeah, double he... i'm gonna bring up the imdb just so we don't miss anything here yeah, but you've got all the like the guy who plays Percy and Dean and whatnot. They all just fit really well. Tom Hanks in this movie, like they talk about Saving Private Ryan, Forrest Gump, and all that stuff. But I think his his role in the Green Mile is arguably one of his best, and people don't talk about it enough just because he is Paul Edgecombe. He is that security guard in the 30s, just doing this job day in and day out where he's in control of people's lives. It's like, oh my god, you don't put him on death row often, but when you do, it's tense. And just seeing yeah. these guys pull it off, it's it's almost too much to handle. If you, if you don't know this story, go into it, just, it, it's going to affect you. I can honestly say that, because it affects me every single time I watch it. And I think with this movie, they set the scene so well from the production design to the locations that they choose to the costumes to just everything that goes into it. So they're always profusely sweating at all times, like Michael <laughs> Clark Duncan, Tom Hanks, when he, especially when he uh, has the UTI. You can see the, the, the extreme amount of pain that these people are going through, the anguish that they feel from the circumstances that they're in. And I think that that just helps build this movie even more that they just everything is thought of all the little details to the characters to the sets to everything is just the music in this movie phenomenal it's it should have been nominated for the score it was not down down to the down to the performances of mice like that whole like i don't know if you watch that documentary or like 10 minute thing uh on the Mm -hmm. behind the scenes of the mice but it's so fascinating like they bred mice for the movie specifically uh and then they trained them to do uh all of these tricks and stuff for months uh, to get them ready and then like they have this behind the scenes crew like filming like the first day on set like it's their first day like working on the movie and like the, everyone's like fucking mice and they had to send this whole like second unit director to go and shoot like insert shots of all the mice because they frank everyone's like mm-hmm. i don't have fucking time to do this like please like <laughs> could, i need someone and they actually hired the visual effects guy to go and do it so it's brilliant and it, it's, it works and- <laughs> so perfectly in the movie because the mice 
the other uh, mouse, Mr. Jingles. He's a character. He has a credit. Mr. Jingles. He had a little director's chair on set. Mr. Jingles that <laughs> said it right there. It's amazing, dude. He's a character, and he is like the soul of the movie almost at times. It's like, it's it's crazy what they're able to pull off with just a little mouse. It's a three-hour movie. It's very daunting. Like some people go, like, oh, I can't even watch a two-hour movie, let alone three. And movies like that sometimes have a really hard time filling in the space between acts. You just kind of, some of them drag. But throwing in Mr. Jingles and how he helps introduce different points to the story, like Spencer said last night, he goes, oh, Mr. Jingles kind of helps them introduce the padded room and where he is. Mm -hmm. And it slowly starts introducing characters and reasons why they might need that padded room and how it helps them later on. So and being able to take just a mouse and just making it work, it, it just it rocks. And there's a they were given Mr. Jingles like characters and like to like interact with and have relations uh, relationships with, like characters to like um bond with and then characters to stay away from. Like it was just hilarious how like they gave so much depth to this fucking mouse. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah. he was one of the main he he had more screen time than plenty of actors in this movie he had more screen time than tom hanks wife more than melinda bonnie, uh, hunt. Yeah. bonnie hunt he had more <laughs> screen time than the freaking warden for god's sake he genuinely did um yep. and i and i think they used him so incredibly well after seeing this movie several times he is kind of the linchpin that holds this movie together all, all the way up to the very end he's one of my favorite parts of the movie just because he really makes you care about dell so much when it comes to like uh the mouse circus in florida and and that entire storyline that Percy just likes to fucking ruin. But I just, I absolutely love it. And it's it's really the best representation of the last thing that this guy has to hold on to in, in his entire life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's being on the Green Mile, being on Death Row. I mean, it's, and I, I just love the, how the prisoners, or not the prisoners, like Tom Hanks and the other security guards aside from Percy are so accepting of that. Trying to keep the peace, trying to keep these guys calm as much as they can i just love that whole dynamic with them throughout the movie these characters are written so well i gotta i gotta talk about stephen king i think universally people if you say stephen king they'll go oh he's that horror writer this has elements of horror thrillers in some of the subject matter how do you think this stands up against his entire filmography because he's got lots of classics mm -hmm. But this isn't necessarily a horror film. How how does it fit in there as like Stephen King adaptations? If I'm looking at Stephen King as a whole, I mean, it's my favorite movie of all time. So like, I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's this and Shawshank in their own kind of category. And then mm -hmm. if you want to talk about the horror movies, because a lot of them are low budget kind of B horror films, stuff like that. So Not I feel like that's, that's a whole. Some of them are. The older ones are, is what I'm saying. Okay, that, yeah. Like, the smaller ones, like, not, like, like It and... Uh, like, Maximum Overdrive yeah, and... Yeah, 100%. Uh, there's not another Christine one. as much. That could thinner. be a B movie, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thinner is one exactly. of them. It's kind of B. It's, like, yes, it really okay. depends, so... Uh, mm -hmm. But these two, by both by Frank Darabout, Shawshank Redemption, yeah, they have horror elements, but... Obviously, the Green Mile is definitely more of a drama with these like mystical properties that is just so I don't mysterious and engaging to me. I don't remember Shawshank having any horror elements, does it? I mean, oh no, no, it's more no, of a straight. It's up just drama. a drama. But what Stephen yeah. King is so brilliant at, and it's even hinted at in the little segment that they do on um, Stephen King in the behind the scenes uh, documentary, is he's just 
the master of characters. He can make a character so compelling and interesting and layered and deep, and he can have them all interact with each other, and they're all so fleshed out, and they all work so well, and that's what he's just able to do with basically all of his stories. I mean, I don't, I know some, I think, yeah, I know you've read a couple of his books, uh, like, I, oh, yeah. John, I don't Carrie, know if you've read his books. It. Have you read any of his books? I have not. I don't read. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting, because, like, yeah. he, he's a, a very interesting author, but he's so he's so compelling he's he's honestly that's why he's hailed as like one of the greatest writers of all time is because he can nail characters down and make them so interesting and it's just a testament yeah. what he's done here i actually did listen yeah. to the audiobook while i when i was initially moving down to florida and it was like the first several chapters of it the oh, detail I, oh, that yeah. he goes into is i did the insane. whole audiobook of it it was 47 hours long yeah uh, it was yep. right it was it. <laughs> right before it it chapter one came out the movie i was i did most of the, i did like i don't know half of it and then i fell off of it because the hype died down and then when it chapter two started mm-hmm. back up that's when i went back to it and, okay uh, it's fun yeah I mean, the it's thing cool th- there was a quote that i heard in a horror documentary called uh american horror red white and blue where they talk about stephen king and it kind of it kind of wraps up who he is as a writer all in one most horror books are about the monster in the closet. But for Stephen King, it's about the house that the closet's in. So he, and he includes the thoughts of a lot of characters, which I feel a lot of people don't. They just kind of let the story and the actions play out. But for King, he's in their heads all the time. You're getting the thoughts of Paul Edgecombe and he's going through this UTI and his character change as he sees these different miracles happening like within the first half hour the movie's kind of a straightforward prison movie until you see the first miracle and then the movie takes a complete 180 and goes ah this is what you're dealing with so buckle up and you've got two and a half hours of some of the greatest storytelling ever put on screen it's it's amazing every time i watch it and the score does that score not get any recognition his main score plays like three times in the movie but they play at pivotal points so like when that indian guy he's telling his story about his wife oh my god that's each time that's yeah each time that song plays you're learning like the the raw center of who these characters are you get that guy who tells this heartbreaking story edouard delacour who's a character that we're not supposed to like these are death row inmates and the fact that they're able to be like you can like these people like it's possible and that humanity is brought out throughout the entire film but delacour talking about mouseville and how he's going to be okay that music plays and that conversation with tom hanks and michael clark duncan like they say in the documentary in the making of it's the heart and soul of the movie in that scene when they're just having this everything's on the table what do i do next 
and just being able to convey this message and spencer said it perfectly beforehand it does not feel like a three-hour movie it's i i can sit and watch this movie and then when it gets to the end i'm like oh crap wow i just sat there and watched that anytime this movie's on i'll watch it all the way through like that's the impact that this movie has well i mean it's a testament to um to because john uh mainstream boy watched this for the first time on tv on cable with commercials yeah. so you take a three <laughs> hour movie three hour and eight old. yeah three hour and eight minute movie with no commercials and then you put it on tv that movie becomes what a five and a half to six hour movie i mean <laughs> it's a long mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big investment to sit there and watch that movie on tv and you sat there and did it so it's proof that the, and I mean, that, the story that's just a testament great. because i just every scene i saw i was like oh my fucking god and then like a tresemme commercial would come on and i'm like what the fuck okay, i can't do that watching. yeah because i need to go wash <laughs> so my hair like, now <laughs> yeah, I'm like, i had oh, always I seen the shower bits. last night i had always yeah. seen bits and pieces throughout the my ears on uh, cable but i had never sat and watched the whole thing from start to finish so like when i no, finally absolutely. did i didn't know any of like the opening scene with like the uh the older paul edgecombe and then the ending obviously i didn't know and just all like the through lines and the how it connects and everything um it was so it was very interesting to sit and watch it uh for the first time back in i don't know 2014 or so yeah. but this movie it's one of those yeah. is so good it's one of those movies that's absolutely worth your time because come that ending you're just like floored it's the first time i saw it and still up to now every time i see that ending i'm like wow is that is that a gift or a curse and i feel like it's a combination of both just what ultimately this film leads to is just like yes he he was given something by john coffee he has to watch everybody he loves die and his wife's been dead what? for 30 years probably what do you think? Well, is it a, what do you mean? If is it's it a, a blessing if it's a curse or, or is it a curse? In your opinion, it's, it's interesting because John Coffey, when when Tom Hanks, he gives him the option. He's like, what do you want me to do? Right. He's like, do you want me to get you out of here? I don't think you're going to get that far. I mean, he's a six and a half foot tall black man. And not even he's way over seven feet tall. And he John Coffey also was like. I'm tired, boss. Like I want to go. I don't want. Like I'm tired of seeing all of the hate and the evil in humanities. Like I don't want to feel their I pain anymore. One more question, and this is something I thought about just today. Um, because, and we'll get back to your point, Spencer. But with that, when this with this character it reminds me of a lot. It's like a lot of relationships with like with like Christianity and stuff, where like this this person came down. He's performing miracles. They kill him off, right? With John Coffey. Where did he come from? Was he born? Exactly. Was he, just, was he, is he here? Like, was he just, did he just appear out of nowhere to save these, to save these girls and he failed? What happened? Is this a redemption story? I don't know where he came from. And that's no, he, another uh... question that I've always kind of had. And that's actually something he, that I brought up last night with Nate. I was, I even said, I'm like, you really don't know any background information or origin about John Coffey. And Nate was like, exactly <laughs> yeah exactly and that's why it's <laughs> because so mysterious yeah. the, o- the only thing that you need to know is that scene where bruto is like geez they're riding on the axle and then he steps out and it pops right up that tells you everything you need to know you've got this giant but the minute that camera pans up to his face and he just goes yes a boss i can talk yeah. it's like you're looking at this character going, I should be afraid of this guy, 
but there's something about him which I think Michael Clark Duncan should have won the Oscar for this because there has been Oscar Congress... wins that don't deserve it where he deserves it more. <laughs> My God, like he the the conversation with Tom Hanks's character, which we'll probably talk about this a lot because this is there's so much in that conversation where he's talking about people love and hate. Everyone can love. It's just they have to realize it. And until they do, people are just going to keep killing each other, each other over nothing. And he's yeah. done, he's and I think I said it last night, too, while we were watching it. I was like, I think they made the right choice with the execution because he fulfilled his purpose. I feel like his purpose was to come help these people because even Melinda, the woman with the brain tumor, she says it perfectly where she says, I dreamt of you. Yeah. You were walking alone in the dark. And we found each other. So it just, it adds the mysticalness to him. When I think I remember when I first watched this, I was like, this is like Frank Darabont's telling of the coming of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. He's there to, he's there to help these people, the ultimate punishment by the people he's trying to help. Right. And so it's like, it makes you want to jump into the screen and be like, don't roll on two, but you have to. And and that scene is those perfect are just... because it represents just that statement. It's just like they all are like in tears and like they don't want to do it. It's such a in a score. Oh man, that scene. <laughs> it's whew. it's also where I can't, uh... a moment like that. And you're talking about the what would you have me do moment with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. Yeah, it's like it's it's a moment that like that moment is beyond. It's bigger than any of those characters. W- whether this was a real situation, it's more important than your job then your entire life do i need to get him out of here so i don't go to hell when this is all said and done i mean this is like this is the biggest decision of tom hanks life and i think john coffee just ends up putting it perfectly when he's Mm -hmm. like i'm tired you know why would you do something foolish like that boss it's like yeah it's just it's so raw and unbelievable and the way that that scene was put together even off camera by tom hanks is also incredible so (laughs) The way I kind of interpreted yeah. it, especially on this watch, is the amount of interaction John Coffey and Paul Edgecombe have. I mean, Paul Edgecombe, um, uh, he gets healed by John Coffey. He grabs him and heals the UTI. And then he also shakes his hand and he sees the visions and stuff of what really happened yeah. to the girls. And then he even hints at this at the end. He's like, I don't know if, did I like inherit part of this gift? Is that why I'm 108 years old and look like I'm in my early 80s like and same with Mr. Jingles because when he was screaming when Dell was dying uh, that zap happened and the mouse just like bolted across the cell and Mm -hmm. since then that was supposedly the incident that caused the mouse to live forever as he Mm -hmm. got part of the gift of whatever John Coffey had so I kind of interpreted in this rewatch is also because it's it's there to interpret as well is like maybe he got part of it and that's why he's so old and i mean you don't really know what he did with the rest of his life but apparently he was hinted that like he retired he that was the last uh execution he witnessed uh he yep. went and did like a juvenile detention center or something corrections, corrections yeah, yeah mm-hmm. just kind of had like a very quiet modest life but i don't know it, it, it is it poses that question when it's such an interesting thought and it ends right yeah. on that thought too and it's like Mm-hmm. damn yeah so you it's, can sit there and ponder and you can come up with so many different conclusions and that yeah, that, that quote as i was at that that quote at the end when he's like this mouse is lit i'm 108 years old if this mouse is still alive how long do i have and it's like dude a long the fucking green time. miles a long walk yeah <laughs> yeah and, like, and, and that and just 
uh, just watching that mouse breathe as he's laying in that box, it makes you wonder, does Paul telling this story maybe end his story? Because it's the first time he's spoken about it. In, what, 60-something years? It gives him maybe some closure. Um, Yeah. And I, f- I feel like afterwards that that was his closure. Like he was able to express the reality of what he was and then showing her, oh, you don't believe me? Well, look at this. When I see that mouse, I like pump my fists. I'm like, oh, Mr. Jingles, like he's Mr. still kicking. Jingles. And, and I got to say, I, I got, I got to add to your point, Nate. I got to say that part especially this movie is very mysterious and mystical but a lot of it is seeing is believing too she's like look Mm -hmm. at the mouse it's right there i'm not lying to you and the same thing happens when like john coffee pulls tom hanks over for the first time heals him and then the same thing happens with the mouse and everybody else believes him it's like it there's nothing left up interpretation if you've witnessed it you are all in you know this guy is an angel sent from somewhere to help the world and you need to do everything you can to help him it was just, I don't know, the movie just has so many incredible messages that you gotta it's love it. It's <laughs> deep. Like, that's just, it's deep. And Yeah, it really is. Watching those documentaries, uh, the making ofs, and getting a, a kind of a sense on who Frank Darabont is, because they interview him a lot, and he just really talks about the movie. In fact, I turned on the director's commentary at one point in the movie, and I had to turn it off because he wouldn't stop talking. I'm like, okay, I just kind of <laughs> want to watch the movie, because <laughs> like, he would just go in detail about every single like set up and scene and like what character did at the year and i was like okay man okay i I gotta go back to the movie but uh some of the behind the scenes stuff was really interesting and one of the moments that like we were talking about with percy and whatnot and you thinking he should have been out earlier i can see what you mean um maybe if him and billy the kid were kind of maybe switched around a little bit and ways that the stories ended his look at the end when he's in that institution it's almost perfect to me in my eyes because he's gone through this movie not believing, not believing, not believing. And because he doesn't believe, he's doomed to repeat everything that's already happened. So Again, it's like, biblical in that situation. I think mm-hmm. I think that John Coffey, he, he, it's almost like an act of God when he gives Percy this kind of damnation, this eternal damnation of being stuck in this uh, mental institution because of mm-hmm. the wrongdoings that he did. So if you want to look at it at that on that aspect sure i think it makes total sense but in terms of a storytelling aspect i'm like okay of course he ended up the mental institution where he was going to go work anyway it's like it's almost too good to be true for me and i mm-hmm. think in terms of john coffee if you don't look at him in like from a biblical standpoint i think it's a little bit out of character yeah. that he would do that to somebody i think that's just reading a little bit too far into it personally i'm glad yeah, he was out like, of the movie at that point <laughs> and and well. seeing it it's almost like when he breathed into him and he had to do that thing with billy the kid and shooting and whatnot right um you, you look at the look on percy's face and i think when he first does that thing to percy and percy's walking down the corridor and his eyes are sunken in he's got like he's seeing all of the hate in the world like john probably put that into him because as he's walking down the thing you see a tear just going down he's suffering in his head and Mm. this guy's not gonna get by so he shoots him and then it comes back out of his mouth john made him see the evil that's an interesting and then he ends and then he ends up in the institution because oh my god they were right and i used to think that he was he was getting the brain tumor because john was like coughing coughing and then he gives it to 
Percy. And I'm like, ooh, Percy's got a tumor on the brain. But the more I watched it, I'm like, it's way more than a tumor. He, John showed him something that just ruined his life. But before we get into like our final thoughts and our grades and whatnot, I'll tell you my little gripe. And you guys are going to think it's so stupid. Okay. But it, it kind of makes sense. The shot when Paul first goes home after his UTI has been cured and he's sitting there looking at his wife. The shot of her ass? No, 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 no. Not okay. that. It's the <laughs> it's the framing of his body in the doorway. Like, it looks like there's too much space behind him that could be filled. But then the more I think about it, I'm like, that's imagine where his thoughts are. Because it cuts to the shot of his wife's ass and then back to him. <laughs> What do you think's on his mind? So maybe I'm overthinking it a little <laughs> too much. Thought of this. <laughs> um, but like, I'm sitting there going, <laughs> "Oh, that, that." Would you? Okay, so somebody performs a miracle on you. The first thing you do is go home, fuck your wife. Aren't you gonna like go see a scientist or something? Or if like... it involves your penis, well, then yeah. yeah. Okay, well, fair. I'm just saying. It's like I, I, pro I mean, <sighs> Paul, I'm not complaining. <laughs> But we haven't done it four times since high school. <laughs> Great. That was like but, her moment uh, in the yeah. film. She wasn't really in any other big pivotal scenes. Uh, you know. No, but she was uh, the girlfriend in Jumanji, though. Fun fact. Well, that's good for her. Yeah. John, you want to uh, lead us into our final thoughts? Yeah, since it's my movie, I will go ahead and give my final thoughts third. But uh, I think that... Spencer... I'm gonna let you go ahead and <laughs> give us yours. You you, you blanked so, so hard. You're like, how am I gonna transition? Fuck, Spencer. <laughs> uh, Spencer I think just uh, fucking do it. Spencer, take over. Talk. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that we're all watching these movies that we all personally really love, and I think we're all mutually here with the Green Mile. Is this movie is just yeah operating on a, on a different level. Frank Darabont put so much care and passion into this movie, and he said everybody on set was there to make the best movie possible. Everybody seemed so passionate, uh, and it was so fun watching the behind-the-scenes documentary because I, I never do that with Blu-rays, and I have over, like, 400 movies and tons of special features that I've never seen before, and it was honestly so fun. It's a great movie. It's one of the best. I'm going to go five out of five. Okay, yeah. good. Ooh, I was nervous for a second. I was nervous there was going to be, like, a four, four and a half, half there. in there. Yeah, but no. I was nervous. <laughs> Do you, okay, Nate, does so, that, uh, does that uh, poorly composed shot change your score to a four and a half out of five? <laughs> it might have to now. Okay. Like, I, I think my weird interpretation of what the shot is just kind of like seals up that little crack in the wall for me, making this the, the perfect movie that it deserves oh. to be. Like, this movie is a masterpiece. It's one of, the, if like you ever get asked, take three movies on a deserted island with you, this is one of them. This is one of them because kill three hours. Yeah, I could give you another the, um, two right now off the bat. Oh, I I have my three, but this one is just the emotion and the characters. It flows perfectly, and like me, we're all cinephiles. But last night when me and Spencer were watching it, I know there was a solid hour and a half where neither of us said a word to each other because we were just watching the movie. I was also flipping and chicken like, at one point. Yeah. And that's that's how you know a movie just moves you. Because from beginning to end, when they introduce old Paul, and he maintains the same character mannerisms that uh, Tom Hanks' character does, and just seeing him relay it from beginning to the round off at the end, it's just 
one of those perfect movie experiences that I wish everyone would experience the way I did. I love this movie with all of my soul. I'm going to do this. 10 out of 5. Damn it. I was going to go 6 out of 5. Wow. <laughs> Fuck. Before, Jeff, all right, before well, you go into final I gotta thoughts. I got to have to one-up you there. <laughs> before you go into final thoughts, Nate, you mentioned that they, uh, the different actor that played Paul Edgecombe that came in, that was last minute. They were going to shoot yeah. Tom Hanks in old person makeup. And they had apparently Oof. two full days of like Tom Hanks in full uh, old man makeup. It took six hours to apply. They shot a full day. Next day, the same thing. They were saying it was so photorealistic. Like, you take a still shot, and it looked amazing. But the second they turned, like, their heads to the left or the right, just mm, a light would hit it, and it would look like <laughs> plastic. And they were like, yeah. doesn't work. So Frank Darabont had to make a decision last minute. It was like, we got to hire a new actor, like, and we got to get him in and shoot these scenes. And I guess they got this guy in. He came in, knocked it out of the park. It's worked. Yeah. It worked. No, he yeah. fit yeah. 100%. And I, I, I was I was uh, watching that. The part of the documentary was talking about casting and, and acting on set of the Green Mile. And that guy was like, yeah, I just want to be able to match, you know, the, the charisma of Tom Hanks and everything that he went through in this movie. Because you, you see him a little bit at the beginning, but you see him at the end after the two hours and 45 right. minutes of everything Tom Hanks went through. So. And the director mm-hmm. didn't want the focus of those scenes to be like, that's Tom Hanks in old person makeup. Like they want, he yeah, wanted no, no, no. the people, the audience to scene. listen to the, <laughs> the, what is going on in the story. Because what's interesting yeah. is on the Blu-ray disc of The Green Mile, you can watch the makeup tests that they shot. <laughs> I, like, sh- I didn't oh, watch sorry. it. Sorry, they're watch good. It. They've included the makeup tests. Like, it's hilarious. This is Tom Hanks in old person makeup, and he's just standing there, and like it looks. I mean, you've seen him done in movies. Like you've seen him done before. It doesn't look it, real. Yeah. But I've, have you seen the Curious Tom Case Hanks of Benjamin Button? Makeup. I mean, holy shit, fuck. Yeah. I don't um, know. <laughs> this movie is it, it's cemented even more so after this viewing as my favorite movie of all time. I'm glad I can. Somebody ever asked me that question, which it comes up every now and then. Yeah, it's the Green Mile. Most people have not seen it when they ask me that question like you got three hours and eight minutes sit down you need to watch this movie because it's it's so much more than just a prison film it's just above and beyond what i think filmmaking can really be you go into this with everybody wants to just give it their all from the director to stephen king like the original writer behind it to all the actors production costume everybody was like let's make an awesome incredible film and that's really what happened because it blows me away every single time. The messages that this movie sends. It's the Green Mile, man. It's the Green Mile. They could they took weeks to figure out what shade of green to paint the fucking linoleum. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's crazy. But you didn't grade it though. It's 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 a, it's ungradable. It's 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 my favorite movie. I I guess. Okay. What do I give it then? I don't know. It's five out of five. Five out of five. It's Thank a bull you. moves, Thank man. You. It's that's, fucking amazing. It's it's, that's all we it's the Green Mile. Tom Hanks. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. As John said, that's Rest that's in peace, the Green Mile. Clark that's Duncan. that was episode three of Collector's Corner. And guys, to be completely honest, I'm surprised we've made it this far. You guys seem to like the show as well, and I, I can see why. I mean, so we really dive into detail and, and break down the film. So, you know, yeah. I'm enjoying it. That's and for we're sure. also doing some heavy hitters, so I'm very, very yeah. curious oh. to see how much the show will switch up for episode four. <laughs> yeah. Are we well, going to take a complete uh, 180? And I'm, I'm nervous. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> so speaking of episode four, we are, uh, we've done the cycle once already. So we're going to start with me, me picking a movie. Oh, and I'm going to be completely yeah. honest with you. And I told Spencer this earlier, which was kind of misleading. I already told him I was way ahead of it. 
about five minutes before we started recording, I picked my movie. And it's one that I've wanted to revisit. When I watched it, I loved it. Um, it's by a very, my favorite director of all time, Mr. Stanley Kubrick. And it is the Criterion Collection release of Paths of Glory, starring Kirk Douglas. I've never seen it. It's an, I've never it's seen a it. war film that isn't even about the war. It's kind of got not not similar themes to the Green Mile, but this one is about the human condition, which the Green Mile kind of has as well as far as morals and ethical dilemmas. But yeah, this is one that I'm very very excited for. Paths of Glory on Criterion Collection for episode 4. Awesome. I thought you were going to say Full Metal Jacket, uh but yeah, I I've never seen it. I don't even think I've heard I've of always that wanted to see it. I mean, it's definitely one of the Kubrick movies that I have yet to see, so I definitely need to check it off the list. It's an hour and 28 minutes. It kind of looks like a quick watch. Mm-hmm. And and for those of you who do not have the Criterion Blu-ray edition that Nate does, uh, you can watch it mm-hmm. on Amazon Prime, uh, Prime Video. So you can stream it mm-hmm. as well, and you can come back next Wednesday and listen to the episode. Easily yeah. accessible. That's exciting. Um, awesome. Yeah, and I it's nice we've been able to get a couple different like this is episode three of collector's corner we've done blu-ray digibooks we've done basic blu-rays we're in criterions personally for me i uh thank you all for listening but uh collector's corner isn't the only podcast that we three guys do uh we're dudes. spencer what other shows do we uh do we uh, partake yes, in? Yes, as well as this weekly show, Collector's Corner, we do have another show uh, that's bi-weekly. It's the main show, Those Movie News Podcast. It's where we basically, all three of us, do a deep dive into, th- well, not really a deep dive, we just have a casual discussion of three movies that we've never seen before, voted on by our Instagram followers. Uh, no, hopefully that are good. I mean, some <laughs> movies haven't been great. Some movies have been amazing. You know, some are just Essential. right in between. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get. But you can help decide what we watch and uh, for the podcast uh, by voting in our polls. There's going to be one this weekend. So stay tuned for our Instagram stories to see what movies we're going to be watching for the following podcast. But those are going to be pretty cool. We have Death Proof, Searching for Bobby Fischer, and Thelma and Louise. So three pretty big movies that we all hadn't seen before until now and uh that discussion will be out the saturday january 30th coming out every monday this is like our 25th episode so this is our quarterly whatever i don't know what that means but our 25th episode (laughs) not that that really matters but we are going to john i'm gonna cut you out of this so (laughs) quick get to the point we're talking about the little (laughs) things on mainstream boys this week me and spencer gonna get together maybe nate i don't know it's kind of looks like a good movie three oscar winners in the movie so that's kind of right up nate's alley i don't know if there's any marital drama probably but check out Mm -hmm. mainstream boys every single monday yeah not interested then if there isn't at least some good back and forth husband and wife swings last week's like if there's no scenes in marriage story where adam driver just screams at scarlett johansson you need that in every movie for it to be every week on on mainstream boys (laughs) exactly but that's it for us at collector's corner we thank you guys so much for watching leave comments and everything on our instagrams everywhere you get your podcasts i thank you and i bid you farewell collector's corner yeah let's get physical yeah let's get physical.